Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network. We dive deep into Albo's most forgotten work, five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. Um, okay, well, hold on. Uh, that was that was Ruben Morehouse, but okay, I'd just yep. like to say that I go by yeah. Elliot Daly now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we didn't. We got to start rehearsing these bits a bit more, Elliot. <laughs> but yeah, I think a little quick round of applause. Yay! <laughs> uh, it was a good. It was a good prediction. Um, I and finally I got I'd, one. <laughs> I think I deserve a round of applause for constantly playing it aloof every time you brought up this fucking insane theory that turned yeah. out to be correct. No, you actually did a good job. There were definitely moments where I, I doubted afterwards and, mm. you know, that wouldn't have been possible if you'd given it away uh, too much. Well, so, thanks. I, uh, I'm yeah, no well hero, Elliot. I'm no hero. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, the, this we continue our, our, our interlude uh, arc with this, uh, this girl, I guess, uh, you know, f- we're following the adventures of this girl, this nameless girl. Uh, and she's kind of reflecting on the uh, the hundreds of years old fairies in that, that go to her school and are obsessed with kind of creating drama. Um, and you know, not this that this needs to be said to anybody except you know our, our our point of view character here. But these things are pretty evil. Yeah, like it just it makes you think of the worst parts of reality TV. Like, it, and that gets called out later on in the chapter almost explicitly i think or they compare it to a soap opera but uh yeah. it, like in particular i i actually looked it up and wait these chapters were being written as like the last season of honey boo boo was airing okay. um so, so it was that- just that's where that's where the world was at uh when so when this that's was that's the kind of reality show that this is being compared <laughs> to you think i mean that's the kind of reality show i'm comparing it to i don't know if wabo was actually intending that but like that that's sort of the level i feel the the fairies are operating at i mean it kind of feels very appropriate considering the uh disguise that padrick uh sorry pordrick uh wears later in the chapter right yeah um and, and and yeah so we've been getting some lessons on basic gaelic pronunciation Oh, um, don't, don't call attention to it, because now it's going to be like, I'm going to be obsessing with this pronunciation, and I'm still going to get it so fucking wrong. I'm just going to keep calling him, like, Pado or Patrick, and, and yeah. just, just run away from Capital the problem. P. Yeah, I'm glad that we're going to start referring to him by a different name from this chapter <laughs> onwards, because it's going to make it a lot easier. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so, yeah, so our, our nameless point of view character here uh, kind of notices one of the other fairies, Keller. Um, g- grooming other students, right? Like clearly grooming them in order to do horrible things. Uh, and she notices this, and then she thinks about Patrick, which she calls Patrick, not you know Podrick. Um, and she doesn't seem to make the connection. I mean, not explicitly enough for my tastes, honestly. Well, actually, the way her thoughts are phrased, there's like doubt that it's like, oh well. They're probably like you know oh, yeah. mon- monkeys paws things, and it's like no, they're definitely monkey paws things. Yeah, like uh, it, yeah. I mean, I, I I really like. There's this interesting spin on the whole dynamic of the trio. Like I've always seen um, Pordrig as as like the top dog, and then Keller and Yvonne are sort of under him. I guess like I mm. assumed they came along for the ride, but now we find out Keller's actually much more um, Yvonne's lackey. Mm. Um, I guess for for want of a better word, uh, it's just an interesting twist on it, and and I don't know if that'll mean anything, but I just I just like it as a neat detail about the three of them. 
Yeah, their their group dynamic isn't as uh isn't as clear cut as we might have assumed it was, you know, in the in the pre Toronto Blake chapters. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I, I kind of re- want to reinforce that right from the start of this chapter, our nameless point of view character is not picking up on the fact that. Or she she is, but she's just kind of letting it slide. She's letting these clear traps and clear grooming go unremarked on, which obviously is, is problematic. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, you know, we'll probably talk about this a lot, but she's so desperate for a friend, a, a connection of some kind, mm. uh, and, it, like, Pordrig's been nice to her, so it's just she's making excuses basically trying like i think there's just a part of her that is trying to create a narrative where they're not horrible monsters yeah um yeah speaking of wanting a friend as she's kind of sitting and watching the fairies um one of the younger behames uh elspeth comes over to to more or less pester her about the contract uh, but it turns into a bit of a wider conversation yeah and i love how um Maggie, I'm, I I can't keep doing this. I'm just going to stuff it All up. Right, let's just stop calling her Maggie. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going to Maggie until she loses it again. Um, so I love how Maggie immediately focuses on the tragic aspect of Elspeth's name. Mm. Uh, but Elspeth just immediately jumps to, oh, well, it's an old name. Like, like the focus is on the old part. It's like mm. such a behame focus uh, on the age <laughs> and the power that comes with the age. It's It's pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and so Elspeth comes over to, I mean, uh, clearly we learn that her intention is just to pester Maggie about the contract, right? Uh, but, but she's trying to kind of be friendly, or at least she's trying to pretend to be friendly, um, not subtly at all. <laughs> um, no, you're right, like, not at all. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a quote from towards the end of the conversation, well, it's actually the end of the conversation, mm. uh, where Maggie's basically just says to her, you know, if Penelope or Gavin are pushing you to come here and try to be friendly, you can stop pretending. It's not going to change what I decide to do with the contract. Yeah. And that's when El- Elspeth is like, okay, I'm All out. All right, see ya. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like, you can't help but read between the lines there and, and sort of think Maggie, would, it, it, like, if, if Elspeth had wanted to stay, that would have meant a lot to Maggie. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, for sure. It's it, that classic thing of when she- you're, like, sort of lonely and- and not trusting people, your instinct is almost to push them away, even though you don't want them to go away. And I, yeah. I feel like that's what's happening here. Yeah, definitely. Maggie Maggie feels, you know, continuing the thread of what we talked about last chapter, she feels like she needs friends, right? Um, mm, mm. That There's a line, <laughs> uh, Elspeth says, yeah, you're right. Uh, the names, talking about the names again, the names we get stuck with can bite, but there's a reasoning behind it. Am I interrupting your thinking? And Maggie shrugs, and in her head she thinks, yes, you are, but... Well, she thinks she wasn't in a mood to be a bitch about it. But I think that she's actually just wants some form of connection and doesn't yeah. want to, like, is actively biting her tongue here to, to not be too aggressive to somebody who, you know, is, is, a, is at least an ally with the contract in place and potentially a friend. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, it's, yeah, the, the whole thing's a bit, um, like, she's just, she just wants anyone to, to stick around. Um, like, and I like how her go-to response here is she shrugs. And like we've seen her do that probably three, maybe even four times already this arc. Is that mm. she, she shrugs when she wants to say yes or no, or she thinks yes or no, but she can't say it because she's, yeah. she's a practitioner. Yeah. Uh, 
I know it's just being reinforced so much as as a character trait. I wonder if it's something that might get delivered on later. I I don't know. It's just it it seems to be her go to move. Okay, something to keep in mind. Um, yeah. So so before Elspeth leaves, her and Maggie are talking about about Portrick, and uh, Maggie defends him a few times, or at least comes pretty close to defending him. Right, both verbally and in her head. Yeah, it's kind of what we saw in her head before Elspeth arrived, to where she's just rationalizing things a bit. Um, like there's one line where she's like, oh, you know, he's not evil. He's just working on, uh, a different level to us. Like with timescales. I-, I mean, he is evil though. And it's, <laughs> it's like, no, Maggie, that's the wrong order. Like yeah. you, you should, the, the fact that he's just evil should not be an afterthought. Yeah. I really feel like she's humanizing him way too much. Um, she mm. thinks about how fairy and Portrick in particular have to, are eternal and therefore kind of have to. Constantly find entertainment for themselves, lest they risk going mad, right? And she mm. thinks, he was fighting an endless battle to stave off that ennui that would turn him into a monster that ranked up there with the worst. Um, which is, you know, I, I guess it's fine that she's being so understanding, but what it's really doing is humanizing him doing terrible things, which is bad. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Maggie, you don't want to rationalize his behavior. No, this entire first section of this chapter is basically just showing us all the ways Maggie is, yeah, trying to build a narrative where the fairy aren't the worst because they're really the only people being nice to her that she can completely confide in. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, so she's just desperately trying to make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after Elspeth leaves her, um, Maggie reflects on the <laughs> the Young Justice Council, I suppose, that she's... <laughs> That she's planning on joining, and and the wider council of Jacob's spell as well, and kind of thinking about how they are letting bad things happen to to the innocents, and whether she can kind of stomach that. Yeah, and, and I mean, this whole segment really aligned her with Blake in my head. Like you can really see, yeah, how they were sort of quickly becoming fast friends because, uh, like this is all the sort of stuff Blake used to think. Um, yeah, really, and. It's interesting because it's it's kind of nice to see it from a different perspective. Like Blake is someone who never had a chance with the system, whereas with Maggie now we're exploring someone who kind of has the same issues with the system, but she's being offered a path into it in a kind of peaceful way. And you know, it's not the prettiest. She has to sort of abandon Blake. Yeah. Um. But that that's not as huge a cost as as it could be. And and there's a lot of potential return for her as an individual. So rather mm. than like Blake, who was against the system because like it shat on him, um, and he he had to be, even though he yeah. is obviously you know morally against the system. You're right that Maggie gets to choose, and it's very interesting. Yes. It makes it very interesting, um, yeah. Especially exactly. when she chooses to align herself with the council, right? <laughs> yeah, and and because you know like she's had, you know, she had that whole thing go down with Laird and and Molly, obviously. So it's not yeah. like she's got a completely blank slate or anything. Yeah, totally. Uh but relative to Blake, uh, it's much more of a choice she's in a position to actually think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I have to apologize to Maggie a bit. Uh, I know that it's our thing to be a bit hard on our protagonists here, but <laughs> um, last chapter we were talking about how she kind of let, uh, I can't remember the goblin's name, uh, Buttsmack? Buttsack, that's Buttsack, it. yeah. Um, how she let Buttsack d- do his thing a bit before she bound him, but she uh she was smarter than than me at least. She bound Buttsack and then went back and helped the victims in a way that didn't expose them to the magical world, which is very hero behavior. Like very much like 
pretty much the optimal way to handle that situation, I think. Although it did mean that she missed a few of the victims, but, you know, can't win them all, right? Yeah, I mean, she's just sort of doing what she can. And, yeah. I mean, that's very Blake, as I, as I was just saying. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, she's endearing herself to us in the same way Blake did. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think I disagree with Maggie's read on, though, is she thinks that the council letting bad things happen is because they they kind of want to let themselves be elevated by having all the innocence be brought down by all the bad things that will just kind of happen to them by others. Um, and I think that kind of makes sense, but it, it feels like it's too much of a motivation to their apathy, right? Like, <laughs> honestly, I think that the council is just kind of like, yeah, it's more convenient for us to not think about these things and then we don't have to bother with it, right? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to defend them because I think what they're doing, <laughs> I, I don't know that this is a defense. I think it maybe mm. is worse that they're just kind of willingly putting it out of their mind. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's that they're intentionally being like, let's just let all the innocents get fucked over and then we'll be slightly more powerful as practitioners. Uh, so I guess my take on that would be, it's something they're definitely aware is happening. Like, I think there's no way oh, that yeah. it hasn't occurred to them that by striking these deals with the local goblins and, and you know, letting stuff like this happen, it is helping keep them on top. And and so, like, even if it's just sort of... Even if that wasn't, like, the, the genesis of, of these sorts of things, the fact that they all know that's what it's doing and if they're apathetic about it, that's sort of this indirect oppression that, yeah, is, is mm. sort of just as bad. But, like, I, I think the fact that it's almost certainly occurred to them means that, at least in my book, you know, that, that it may as well have been the point if they're not yeah, going to sure. do anything about it. I guess it's a fine line, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Maggie and Elspeth have finished their conversation and Elspeth, you know, goes off to, to do something that she actually wants to do, presumably. Yeah. Um, and Maggie is kind of looking around at the rest of the yard, uh, sees Podrick uh, leave, and kind of watches the rest of the young practitioners as they're just carrying on their lunchtime. <laughs> um, yeah, and she she makes a mental note that she wants to talk to uh, Pado, uh, like, afterwards <laughs> yeah. about, you know, I think it's something to do with what will happen if, if Jacob's Bell gets a lord, but the fact that she's just she's in that frame of mind where it's like, oh yeah, I'll chat to him later about something fairly casual. Like, oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the warning bells just, just yeah. going off in your head. You don't just exchange, you know, texts after school with the local <laughs> others that, that that's something's gone wrong there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to pull out that this, this bit here kind of feels like it's reinforcing to me that these practitioners are kids, right? They're, they're kids. Um, Mm. Obviously, it's obvious, but, you know, Owen is, like, flirting with a girl. Lola's just messaging someone on her phone. Like, they're practitioners, but they're still children, Maggie included. And I think that's I think that's important to kind of be reinforced because, I don't know, it, it feels like it's going to be important to some of the themes that we're exploring throughout this this arc. Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, you know, even in Maggie, who I think is further along the spectrum towards Blake than mm. any of the others, these kids all have like active muggle lives you know like mm. they're, they're still going to school and and it's kind of like just basically having magic on top of all the regular shit you sort of have to deal with at that age uh is effectively where they're at like uh, i think there's a thing where owen has fiddled with the connections between him and the girl he's trying to flirt with and she's still rejecting him <laughs> which is pretty funny <laughs> yeah. uh as, as well as being uh, kind of morally gross uh yeah so but in that in that way where it's like Close enough to the line where it's 
it is morally gross, but it's morally gross in the way that you know a behavior would be able to convince themselves that it's fine. Oh, it's classic teenager shit as well. Yeah. Like, like this this stuff must be rampant with uh, uh, teenage yeah. practitioners the world over. It's like love potions in Harry Potter, right? Exactly. If you stop to think about them for a moment, you're like, oh, Ew. hold on. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're kids, right? It's... I don't know. I, I think there's something that we should keep in mind throughout the rest of the chapter, because I do feel like that's going to be thematically relevant to some stuff. Okay. Um, so anyway, skipping forward in time, Maggie is having a gross, gross dinner with her dads, uh, viscerally d- described as a viscerally disgusting uh, pile of brain, chicken, meat, something. Um, so bad that Maggie thinks she was cursed by a goblin to not be able to enjoy food anymore. Yeah, I mean, the tinfoiler in me thinks that this meal might have been like, miraculously bad. Mm. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I mean, well, like, I really wanted to call out this section where Maggie is describing the food and she goes, no, scratch that. It looked like limp, shredded groin giblets. Undercooked, <laughs> limp, shredded groin giblets with overcooked asparagus and undercooked potatoes on the side. Like, just the way that was all phrased, it made me think of Buttsack's POV last chapter. Like, it's so, you know, he was always doing the same thing of, like, repeating and escalating the number of insults about all the people he was describing. And, you know, I think this is just one of those examples of you are what you practice. Like, the way Maggie goes mm-hmm. all out on dissing this food in her head is maybe just, you know, some of those warning signs. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um... I want to touch on the idea of this food being tampered with, because obviously there is a chain of events that happens that leads to Maggie and her dads being at a place with, uh, with Podrick and, and Yvonne. Um, do you think that there's something, something going on here? I, I, I could see it going either way. Like, I think it's one of those things where I would absolutely be willing to believe, and I do suspect a little bit, that maybe something was tampered with to mm. lead this to happen, but also, you know... It could just be, you know, Podrick's Podrick was ready to go. Uh, yeah. Like he was, he was, he would have gone to her home if that's where she'd been. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. And, and these scenes with her dads are kind of reinforcing again the idea of yes, she loves them, but the divide between them is just growing bigger and bigger, and she's getting more and more isolated. Yeah. And and we we sort of see why here, like explicitly, that it's sort of what what we thought last chapter, which is she just isn't sort of she can't tell her dad's everything about this stuff partially because yeah. they don't approve of her role in it and partially because they're still not over what happened uh six months ago yeah. so they've almost had completely opposite responses she's she's dived in head first to this world to try and overcome the problems whereas her dads are just sort of trying to put it in the past and mm. that's that's largely what's leading to this separation uh mm. almost she also says that she had a deal to like give them full disclosure on <laughs> on what was going on at school at least, which I mean I hope full disclosure wasn't the exact phrasing or she she's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, um, you know she she she's told them that she murdered a girl, and there's no way that's full disclosure. <laughs> Maybe she has told them, and they're super chill about it. No, yeah, it, there's obviously secrets that she's keeping, so it's a, it's interesting. I I kind of touch on this in my notes a little bit later where. Like, she she talks about to her dads how she's going to get some junk food to torment a goblin. And, hmm. and that feels like a, a detail that's minor enough that, or like specific enough that she wouldn't 
normally talk to them about it. But it does, it just kind of, I don't know, I find that interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it comes down to how it reflects on her. Like, I, I guess she thinks, tor- no, not torturing, tormenting. Um, mm-hmm. Very Fine, different Very different important words. distinction, yeah. Um, a goblin will be okay with them, which it turns out it kind of isn't, but yeah yeah you're right i i think she she probably does have a line that relates to the bigger threats and so you know little things like this I, maybe this is a little bit cynical but little things like this help give the impression that she's telling them everything she mm. knows i don't yeah, know true true i i think that is a, a bit of a cynical read but it could be something along those lines maybe could even be, unconsciously yeah it could be just like a small part of it yeah um so maggie gets a email a text something on her computer from blake uh, describing the situation, and she decides to turn him down. But then, wait, Elliot, but then how does she... Hold on. <laughs> I don't understand this. How does she turn up in Toronto? Something's going on here. Oh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this is this is sort of a big thing, and it, it comes up a few times in the chapter, so I, I think we'll mostly talk about it at the end. But, uh, yep. you know, obviously, we this is where we really have established now, and we knew this was coming, Uh she has the contract where she can safely join the system and mm-hmm. she has the offer to join Blake and do what what she believes is the morally better thing yeah. to do. And uh, yeah. yeah, she begrudgingly chooses the option she thinks isn't as noble, but is like safer, mm. probably better for her dad's, you know, she's, she's making that choice here. And we'll, I guess we'll see how that continues throughout the, the chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the offer is just too good. Like, it's just, it's just <laughs> a good offer, right? Oh, uh, you can't, you can't begrudge her for taking it. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it's, it's, um. I, honestly, I think I would do the same thing in her position. Like, oh, I, I think I would too. Like, yeah. I mean, probably anyway. right up until the end of the chapter, honestly. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there comes a point later in this chapter where I would do something very differently to she, <laughs> but you know, um, anyway, so Maggie and her dad's. Uh, want to go and get better dinner, but you know the the chicken giblets was terrible, and they for some reason they don't have any food in the fridge. Hmm. So they decide to go out for dinner um, <laughs> at at a kind of greasy spoon style place. Yeah, I I had some poutine when I was in mm. Toronto a few years ago, and I got to say that like yeah, if you're in that area and you hear that there's a place with the name potato or the the word potato <laughs> in the name, like. I, I would I would definitely be heading there. I can understand Maggie's excitement absolutely. Right. Like especially especially at that age. I'm actually planning to go to Canada uh, early next year. Um, not related to the podcast, but now, now that we've <laughs> heard about this, I reckon there's a. Uh, I might go check out some I don't know greasy potato type places. Yeah, just just get a poutine. Yeah. Um. So uh, Maggie and her dads arrive at the place and. Uh, Oh, look who's there. It's Pordrick and Esalt, and they are glamoured up to look like, uh, for Pordrick to look uh, uh, like a, a young child, and for Esalt to look like his, uh, you know, grown-up teen mother, I suppose, <laughs> is the term. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it seems less fun than the interactions we've had with them before, right off the bat. Yeah, I, I mean, but I just, like, I, I really enjoy the insanity of the fairy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like obviously it's all horrible uh in the end but because they're sort of doing horrible things to stave off boredom <laughs> they do it in a fun way mm-hmm. and, you're sounding a bit like maggie here <laughs> <laughs> no i get what um, you mean they are they are kind of like they're fun to hate right 
Yeah, yeah. Like as as a reader, I find them very enjoyable. <laughs> if if I was in world, I uh, like I would be yeah. running in the opposite direction. Yeah. But like as a reader, I find their antics incredibly uh enjoyable and horrifying at the same time, which is like yeah. a great combo. Yeah. Um I, I wanna touch on the tone of this conversation, right? Because it feels creepier, right? Like like Podrick isn't isn't even really flirting with her at this point. He he's kind of bargaining right off the bat. And I don't know, Maggie touches on that she feels like he's being a bit creepy, but it it really she doesn't seem to notice that the tone has become a lot more concrete, I guess. Like they're not playing anymore. Feels like something's up. I think the big difference that jumped out to me at first is uh, Podrick's whole mannerism is almost more overtly fake, like mm. right from the get-go. Like he's calling her Maggie closest to my heart and all that. And like, it, it's so, it, it's not subtle at all. Like at least before he kind of wasn't as over the top. And, mm. and I think that's the thing. Like, I actually think it's all part of the game because him being so over the top means Maggie feels like she's on the ball because she's seeing through him. But it's actually him, like, overdoing it. So, anyway, yeah, I don't know. That's the thing with these fairy mind games. You can go through, like, 20 loops. <laughs> yeah, uh, true. You can but, go many layers deep. Uh, no, I agree. There's something sort of very different. And I think, like, as as readers, we're maybe expecting this to be a point where some sort of shit goes down right mm. from the start. So, you're like... Because, you know, we know Maggie's gotten the offer. We know she's meant to show up soon. So, and, and we know she thinks yeah, she's true. saying we no. Yeah, we know she's turned it down, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're sort of waiting for some catalyst to change her mind. And then, like, Podrick shows up and, and is immediately like, ooh. Uh, <laughs> and, and you're just sort of like, okay, this is like something's going to go go down. Yeah. Um. So, Podrick's here because he has heard about the conquest contest and he's heard that Maggie was named as one of Blake's champions and he wants her to go for it. Um, so he's trying to offer her things in exchange for her reconsidering her decision to not go. One of the first things he says here, uh, like, like obviously this whole segment, he's full of shit, like we know that. Yep. But um, the, one of the first things he says is, Mr. Thorburn is apparently intent on vigorously leaping from frying pans to fires. <laughs> yeah. Which, um, accurate read. <laughs> yeah, is definitely the most correct thing he says uh, in this whole, <laughs> this whole conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and again, one of the first things Maggie thinks during this conversation is so many things were wrong and rotten with this city. Could she accept responsibility for another Thorburn's death? Mm. She had to. And and so again, this is a point where she sort of initially turns down Podrick's offer. And it, yeah, it's that thing. The stakes are raised a bit because now she knows Blake's going to die. And she directly ties it to Molly and, and sort of the moral debt she owes to uh, the family, and she thinks yeah. like, nope, I still have to make that decision, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a big difference between her and Blake, right, um, is Blake would, I think Blake would have made the opposite choice here, right? Like, he would choose, hey, that that's my friend, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this for my friend, uh, where Maggie chooses arguably the smarter option. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I can actually totally picture Blake, um, I, I maybe Rose would be able to change his mind, but if it was just Blake, uh, I, I think I could see him, well, jumping from a frying pan into a fire, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, there's th th this happens pretty quickly, I guess, but this whole deal that, that Podrick is, is, is pulling here, it really just reeks of a trap, right? Like, yeah. The, yeah. the thing they eventually settle on is, 
uh, Podrick off, uh, wants a pick of something from her backpack. <laughs> and she eventually goes for it. But, like, he could have picked any fucking thing. Like, clearly the laws of, of reality don't apply to fairies. He could pick, like, I don't know, the straps from her back, and that means that he gets to get carried around by her for hours, or who knows what the fuck he could have done. <laughs> Uh, That's what I was going to pick if I was Podrick, by the way, <laughs> to get free piggyback <laughs> rides around the city. I think you're a few thousand years of entertainment <laughs> on the other fairies there. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing I love about this deal is we saw last chapter at, at the end how he's sort of been training her for this. He's been offering her deals yeah. where it's really a win-win for her. Yeah. And it, it's all been leading up to this, really. Like, all of the grooming that he's been doing on her, like, this is... This is where he cashes it all in, and I think I think this is part of that is he's been training her to kind of trust him with the deals. He has given her boons uh, as his like reward up until now. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to blame her as much as as you sort of would if you looked at this incident in isolation. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Reserve power of veto, Maggie. That's my advice for next time: is say yes, you can have anything from my bag. I reserve the right to say, no, not that, something else, after you've chosen it. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I, again, yeah, it's it's so hard because, yeah, this was so obviously like, oh, I'll just take anything from your backpack. And then when he doesn't even object to you looking through the backpack mm-hmm. to pull out anything valuable, that that's like, there should be alarm bells going off in your head going, okay, like, he, he doesn't even care that I'm going through it. Something's up here, but uh, she she doesn't see it. She's 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 too blinded by the, uh, yeah. the power. Yeah. So he offers her a pretty big thing, which is a ring that allows her to use glamour for like thirty days or something, um, mm. and kind of baits her as well with, "Hey, this is a precursor to me potentially being your familiar," which is another big power grab. Um, as well as that, <laughs> Pad- uh, Podrick is like literally sweetening his words with glamour as he talks <laughs> which is such a great negotiation tactic i love it yeah it's it's kind of fun seeing a a glamour master uh in action like obviously we saw how abstract yeah. uh blake got with it now we're seeing uh Podrick do the same thing it, it's a great little detail and again i think it's one of those things where he kind of overdoes it so maggie thinks she's on top of it because she's yeah. able to suppress it but i'm not sure that maybe she was or you know it still has some little effect on you even if you even if you do you know you're still getting that little dopamine hit or whatever uh yeah. so it's uh it, yeah it, it's it's really fun yeah i mean the whole way along through last chapter and this chapter maggie has been thinking okay i know he's pulling this trick i know he's pulling that trick but obviously <laughs> that that wasn't enough maggie obviously that wasn't enough so i don't know i, I it, well, it feels kind of empty to be like, yeah, no, I noticed that he's doing this and it's fine. But then later on, she just kind of falls for it. No, I mean, we've seen it in other points in the books and uh, Elspeth talks to Maggie about it a bit. Uh, but, you know, the fairy are playing these multi-layered games and all that. So it, it's just a bit naive yeah. to think, oh, yeah, I'm like dashing away his glamour. I've got him figured out because, yeah. uh, you know, we we know that they play on so many levels that he he's probably predicting that yeah she's trying um, to play 2d chess and he's playing 4d chess exactly um i also want to call out this bit where uh podrick says uh you want power shall i put maggie holt in the same place as one of the more powerful <laughs> and respected beings in the area uh and then and then later on he goes on to say you'll face zero risk from him you stand to learn a great deal yeah. 
and, and obviously, oh, like, yeah. fuck, I love rereading segments of this book because, like, you know, you had to immediately jump here after seeing the end of the chapter because it's it's perfectly phrased. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, the way he just kind of deftly switches between saying Maggie Holt and saying you is brilliant, and it's the kind of he talks weirdly enough that you don't think it's a thing until you realize what he's doing. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, and I mean, I yeah, think that's great. something. Not not even just the fairy so far do on purpose. Like we kind of saw Pose do the same thing yeah. way back in Arc Four. Like a lot of people just talk weirdly all the time, so you don't catch their subtle phrasing uh, later, <laughs> which is is a real smart thing to do. It is. It's a big brand move. Um. So there's there's one other bit that I want to call out, which is similar to to uh, Podrick uh, sweetening his words with glamour. But uh, Maggie thinks of her, you know, her milkshake. It had partially melted. And it tasted delicious. This deal sounded delicious too, which only made her wary. Um, and this makes me think that that uh, one of the things Podrick is doing here is literally making things around her taste nicer, like making her senses <laughs> react sweeter to the world as some weird kind of like Pavlovian positive conditioning thing. It's such a it's such a weird, awesome play. Yeah, I I mean I don't. I don't know enough about glamour. I don't know. Like, wouldn't he have had to put glamour in the milkshake or onto her <laughs> Who knows? To, to achieve Who knows? that? Um, but also, I could totally see him having had time to. Do that. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I mean, this is the thing about the world of Pact for someone who doesn't like understand it as much as I would like to. Is everything is terrifying because everything could be a thing. Yeah. Uh, or, like I, I think if I was in this world and I was awakened, I would just live in a constant state of fear. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, there, there's so many weird mind games that could be going on here. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the mind games seem to have worked. Maggie accepts the deal, and Podrick goes through her backpack and chooses out a piece of homework where she's uh, written her name, and he cuts off the top right corner with her name on it and takes it. He takes her name. Yeah, and uh, just just before he does this, there's a bit where her father's come back in and, and uh, her father calls out to, uh, to her saying, sort of, you know, Maggie, and she tells them to just go on, like, she'll catch up. This is important. Mm-hmm. And again, I think mm-hmm. this is this is the culmination of, of sort of that lead up where she's finally turning her back on uh, the the right way, I guess. Like, I, th- I think her dad sort of represent... The, oh, yeah. the non-jumping into the fire uh, yeah. <laughs> way of doing things. Yeah. And she's basically turning her back on them in this moment. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously any reader at this point has decided that she's majorly fucked up in accepting this. Yeah. And uh, and so you sort of see this and you're like, well, like it's over now. She's, she's, she's dove into the fire. Dived? Dove? She's in the fire. <laughs> she, she's she's leapt into the fire. Yeah. Uh and it's it's all going to go bad from here. And it yeah. does. Um yeah, it goes bad. This is a great trick by by Podrick, right? Um it's obviously hor- horrific, but it's an awesome trick because the wool was so thoroughly pulled over her eyes. Um and the other thing I want to say about this is this is clearly like kind of breaking the rules of what we would expect. Except this was set up way back in like arc 1 maybe when um we first meet the fairies, and and Blake almost gives them his apologies, which yeah. is such a weird and otherworldly thing that it kind of sticks in your head. And that finally pays off here when <laughs> when Podrick just takes her name from her homework. Like, it's so great that that there's this weird establishment of fairies being able to break those rules a bit that doesn't make this feel like a cheap twist. 
Yeah, well, I guess it's just age or something, but they're very in tune with the spirits. Like, this is that whole thing in Pact. It's yeah. not a scientific world. Like, him taking her name from a, a thing as part of a deal can apparently be made to symbolize him literally taking her name. Yeah. Uh, so, so fuck the spirits, I guess. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, it like it's one of those things where in, in a lot of other works of fiction, I would have been like, oh well, come on, that's bullshit. But in Pact, yeah. I was pretty ready to believe that this was something he could have pulled off with uh yeah. with, with the way the spirits work. Yeah, totally. Um, um, and I, I mean, there's a great. I, I so I just really love just so just after he takes her name. Well, as he tears the paper off, up until then, for a long time, Podrick has been referring to her as Maggie Dear in like mm. every sentence uh and then as soon as he rips the paper he switches to my dear mm-hmm. and that was something that i didn't appreciate until the reread uh and, and then maggie calls him out on it and you're just like oh that's yeah it, it's it's a great little subtle layer hidden into the into the text here yeah i i get the sense that this was also intentionally done by him to prompt her to call him out on it just so he could be like, okay, well then what's your name? And have this yeah. like really theatrical reveal of what she's just done. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so obviously all this manipulation has fallen into place. Like Podrick was controlling her parents and, and kind of made them be a bit annoying to her right at the time when she was falling into it so that she would push them away and fall even further into this. And it's all like very meticulously, thoroughly planned and she just fell right for it. Yep, yeah, it's exactly what, what we've been led to believe the fairy are capable of. Yeah. Um, I want to pull out one line while they're making this deal where, uh, before before it all goes horribly wrong, Podrick says, I swear to leave your parents be. Um, which is just at least one little silver lining from the <laughs> deal that, that her parents won't get all so horrifically fucked up. Yeah, and I mean, that that's true. It is nice, but it's also, it's such a small price for him to pay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. like he, as if he gives two shits about her dads, they're not interesting, uh, yeah. I'm sure. So it's, it's one of those things where it cost him very little really, but it did make such a difference to Maggie. Uh, so it's all, it's all part of the game. Everything's all part of the game with these people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now the girl in the checkered scarf has no name, uh, and Maggie Holt warns her that without her name, she kind of has lost a core piece of her identity and she had better work out who she is fast. And so, uh, like, I, I'm not I'm not being silly, right? Like, there's some parallels to what happened to Blake here. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? Like, um, like, not, it's obviously different, but there's some thematic overlap to her losing a core piece of herself, not mm. in the same way. Like, she might be able to get it back, I don't know. But uh, also, like, part of me wonders, does this make Maggie a bit more, or not Maggie, does this make... Right the girl with the checkered scarf, uh, a bit more immune to the, to the unblakening. Like, Maybe. you know, once... I mean, she doesn't have a strong identity, right? So who knows where she's, where she's headed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I guess it all depends on what this does to connections, which it sounds like it, you know, broke quite a few of them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. that's like four days off. So who knows what's going to happen, uh, to her between now and then. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to pull out is, uh, she swears. The girl in the checkered scarf swears. It's awesome. She's she's cured. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's great because Pordrig seems just as just as caught off guard by this as her. Like, uh, it, it's pretty clear. So I, I guess presumably, whenever she swore not to swear, it involved her name. Because uh, it seems like maybe Pordrig has inherited uh, 
mm. this along with her name, which is hilarious. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, and it, it pays off some of the stuff from a few arcs ago as well, which is fun. Mm. Um, but we'll get to that later. Um, so yeah, so so Maggie Holt glamours themselves up to look like Maggie Holt, and the girl in the checkered nice. scarf runs to catch up to Maggie's parents. But of course, they're Maggie's parents, and so they don't recognize the girl in the checkered scarf, and so she goes off into the night. Yep, it sucks. Yep, I don't really have anything else to say. Yep. It just sucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, the thing I like about this, though, is uh, kind of me- metatextually, we're in chapter two of, of the arcs, of the signature arc, right? Mm. Um, and this has just happened, and it's like, this feels like the kind of twist that could be the end of an arc twist, but it is an inciting incident here, which means we've got, you know, seven chapters or five more chapters of the, the ramifications of what this means for the girl in the checkered scarf, which is such a great setup for a chapter. I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, well, so, because obviously as an interlude arc, uh, it's, you know, it's it's essentially got to tell the whole story in here. Can't, like, other arcs do kind of get away with, like, they're, they're their own chapter yeah. of the story, but... You know, this one really had to introduce us a bit more to Maggie and what's going on with her. And so, yeah, we've hit the end of these two chapters and it's like, this is the real complication. This is, yeah. like, you thought the complication was going to be, oh, how does she end up in Toronto? And it's like, no. Uh, <laughs> it turns out she's lost her name and, like, this shit's just gotten really serious. And you're right. And yeah. so now I'm sitting here and I'm like, I have no idea what the next five <laughs> yeah. chapters have in yeah, store, it's but awesome. it's going to be great. <laughs> Who knows what the fuck's going to happen? Um, but yeah, that's that's the end of Signature 8.2. Uh, what a fun chapter! I love it. We're in, we're in a real fun part of the story at the moment. I gotta say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, before we wrap up the show, though, I thought it'd be worth us kind of going back and taking more of a look at the M equals P theory. Uh, obviously, since you called it out back in <laughs> what seven point six, I think it was. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, but obviously, we saw Maggie show up in Toronto in six point seven, and so there was a lot of stuff that happened. Uh, in that time and i think it's fun it'll be fun to go back through and kind of recontextualize some of this stuff for us yeah and i think a lot of this is stuff i touched on a little bit when i first made the theory because i really Mm -hmm. i really went all out uh on finding evidence for it but uh it'll be nice for you to actually have an opportunity to respond uh this time because i imagine last time you just had to sit there and pretend like you had no idea what was happening yeah yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so, so six point seven is where we first see Maggie Holt again, um, and and you've kind of touched on a few of these already. But uh, there's a lot of like I'm Maggie Holt kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a few beats of of Maggie realizing that she can't swear. Um, I want to pull out it when she meets Evan. She says, "Evan, not a very imposing name. I was hoping for Blake's familiar to have a name like Melmoth, the Skullfer." She stops short, then frowned. Melmoth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. I've totally, I totally believe now that that was uh, Podrick learning to deal with this. <laughs> and we know he's a good yeah. actor, so he probably picked it up pretty quick, like a lot quicker than I would have in that situation. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess one other bit from 6.7 that I want to call out is Maggie says, a lot of things about me would surprise you. I'm here. I'm helping for the time being, and I'm raring to go. And she's excited, uh, and, and Blake asks why, and she says, Because this, the contest, predefined rules, boundaries, minimized damage, a lot to gain. I've been hoping for something like this for a long time now. Um, which is a kind of more horrifying, recontextualized, I suppose. <laughs> yes, like, this is one of the lines where, when I originally posed the theory, made me think that 
it, there was more Maggie in there. Like, I, I was thinking mm. there was Maggie in there in the sense that there was part of her spirit, not just the name. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so this is this is interesting because it made a lot of sense for Maggie, whereas for, for Pordrig, I'm sort of like, well, is so he has some bigger plan or, like, what's... What's I, going on? I actually just feel like he's enjoying the ride, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I want to call out two things about out to me about Maggie in this chapter, which is one, it, it's hard to tell if, if she actually has Maggie's memories, right? Like, there are a few bits where it kind of seems like Maggie knows things that happened to her in the past, but maybe she's just really good at acting. Like, she makes reference to, oh, can we do the usual deal here with Blake? Which is like... Possibly something that, you know, the girl in the checkered scarf told Maggie uh, before Toronto, but it, it feels like she knows more about it than she should. I I agree. There are a couple of moments where the knowledge seems almost so intimate that, uh, like, I, I could believe that there was a memory transfer, but mm. I think the more horrifying revelation would be that uh, the girl with the checkered scarf was just that open with Pordrick. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. That is scary. <laughs> uh, like, we obviously saw that they were actually quite close. So I, I'm willing to believe that it's just they were that close, and that's mm. terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to call out is Blake picks up on this really quickly. I kind of forgot how quickly Blake is like, something's up with Maggie. She's yeah. She's not herself. Like... Damn, Blake, good, good pick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, one of the cleverest things he he did. <laughs> um, so, uh, six point eight. Uh, we have Maggie. I mean, she's not really doing anything too suspicious. Uh, although this is the bit where Midge goes on a rampage, and Blake thinks that Maggie has fucked with the binding. Um, and I'm not sure what to think about this because, like, yeah, could go either it, way, really. Yeah, and and that's something that I guess we're going to talk about a bit more over this over this little bit is it uh, it Maggie is genuinely helping, right? Like it's so hard to know uh, her motivations here because she is genuinely helping in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I, one I want to call out a bit from six point nine as well, where where Blake is kind of diving into how Maggie got here and what's going on with her dads and all kinds of things. Um, and Maggie says a bunch of stuff, but one, one key bit I want to say is there's no real malice in or hostility in my heart. Honest. I'm here because it's a way to improve my personal situation because I don't like guys like the Lord of the city or even the idea of Lords in general. Besides, it's a heck of a lot more interesting than sitting in Podunk, Nowhereville and going to high school. Obviously that last bit <laughs> makes clear sense for Podrick, but I, it, this bit's interesting to me because rereading it, it really struck me how like emotionally honest and genuine it felt. Like it feels like, uh, yeah, it feels like Maggie slash Bordrick is genuinely like not malicious here. <laughs> he he is trying to mix up his situation a bit and escape his exile potentially, but really just kind of like do something that seems interesting to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so a a lot of lines kind of become funnier in retrospect as well. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a bit where Maggie references uh, that. That uh, that she has some fairy tricks and feels like oh that's weird fairies and goblins usually oppose and Maggie says I know but I hate goblins and that counts for something for at least one fairy which I think we already <laughs> knew meant Podrick but now that we know that Maggie <laughs> is Podrick makes it even better yeah or like 
it could just be Pordrick speaking in generalizations. Like, <laughs> he's just like, yeah, somewhere out there, there's a fairy that thinks a little bit more of me <laughs> because I don't like goblins. Like, that's probably true. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'll, I'll pay that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then, of course, in, in 6.10 as well, we get the bit where they go into the spirit world and make uh, Blake notices that Maggie is really, like, crazy to look at. Um, yeah. Which... Uh, obviously is is clear in retrospect now but i i don't know it feels like it should have been more obvious to to some of the more experienced practitioners like fell yeah maybe um i I guess we don't know how much it genuinely stands out to a normal person and then also Mm. remember that like she was basically coming across as naked and she's 17 so there may have been a lot of intentionally not looking towards maggie's going on yes uh yeah it's true yeah um Let's keep going. So Maggie doesn't show up at all in 6.12, so we can skip that one. Um, yeah. Uh, there are a few references to uh, Maggie knowing more than she should. Uh, when they when they have Laird kidnapped, he's like, oh, I thought you were a novice. You know, and Maggie's like, explains it by saying she had a lot of free time, which of course is true, <laughs> yes. but obviously that's not the reason she knows more. Like, I remember that was one of the lines that really, uh, like when I first started thinking that maybe it was... Uh, like Pordrig specifically, mm. that was one of the ones that made me think, yeah, like this, this could be it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, now the other thing I want to call out here is Maggie feels more brutal than she was before Toronto, right? She, yeah. She references like hitting people hard and stuff. That's like I don't think we knew her well enough to to make it feel really strange, but it does feel a bit strange at the time. Hmm. And it just, I, I love it. I love that there's these bits. I mean, this is the whole thing about Pact, right? Like this is, <laughs> yeah. again, we, we touched on in, I think it was seven uh, twelve that there are a few moments that I really wanted to talk about. And of course, the one I didn't want to mention because it was about to happen is the moment when you figure out that Maggie was Patrick. Uh, Patrick yeah. Sorry, but it's so great to like re-examine. Anyway. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so so Maggie doesn't show up much in 7.2, but then I want to pull out this one in 7.3 as well, where after Blake has been eviscerated by Isadora, uh, Isadora says, I'd say Maggie there should help you, but I somehow doubt she will, which <laughs> I think you p- called this out as a bit strange at the time, but it, it yeah. does just reaffirm that Isadora knew this whole time about this yes. and just didn't bother to mention it, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Maggie helps patch together Blake after his evisceration, which, now that we know that she's a fairy, means that he was probably a lot more vulnerable than we thought he was. I think I actually called this out. I was like, if my theory's right, is that just glamour? Like, because that's not good. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's not. Uh, I guess we don't, I guess we don't know. Uh, Yeah. He didn't live long enough for the glamour to wear off. (laughs) That's true. I mean, maybe that was, maybe that was part of it, right? Um. He was just a little bit weaker than he, he could have been. Uh, although, if he didn't know that it was glamour, maybe it doesn't even matter? Who, who knows how glamour works, really? <laughs> um, I want to pull out another line where uh, where they're fighting the, the wraiths by throwing eggs at them. <laughs> and I'm going to read this whole thing. Maggie egged the thing, holding three eggs in one hand at whip it, and whipping them at him in the other. It's not really working, I said. I think it's working a little, Maggie told me. She flashed a grin, not taking her eyes off the other. He doesn't like it. And this really comes across even more in retrospect now. Maggie is really enjoying herself here. <laughs> like, yeah. throwing eggs at others is the exact kind of shit that she's probably hoping for. Just, like, weird, ridiculous, enjoyable yeah. shit. Yeah, I, I agree. This is, like, 
Paul Driggs' response to this is probably like, that's fucking dumb, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a part where, where they uh, kind of talk to Joanna, uh, Joanna uh, Behame, Duncan's fiance, and Joanna says, I'm Joanna, by the way. And then the text, <laughs> this is word for word. Hi, Joanna, Maggie said. I'm Maggie. <laughs> Which I know isn't a joke, but it feels like the text is kind of like desperately trying to convince us that Maggie is Maggie yeah. by repeating it so many times. I found uh, that quite funny. No, in retrospect, this is totally at least Wabo having fun. <laughs> uh, definitely Pordrig. Like, I, I definitely reckon Pordrig's getting some kicks out of walking around going, Hi, I'm Maggie. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, if you can't lie, it would be pretty fun to get into a situation where you basically just get to, like, bluff your entire day. Yeah, exactly. Um, what else? Oh, actually, this is a really interesting one to me. Uh, when Duncan comes back and, and they're kind of fighting over the gun, uh, and they're struggling, Maggie pulls the gun and, and Duncan spins around and is holding Blake between himself and Maggie. And, Mag- and, du- and Blake is, of course, bad with close spaces, so he's, like, struggling and squirming. And Maggie's response is, Blake, stop squirming. I can hit him if you stop. Saying, basically, hey, I, I don't want to shoot you, Blake. I, I'm going to shoot Duncan, but I don't want to shoot you by mistake. Which, I don't know, like, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, this is what makes me feel like Podrick is more friendly than we feel like he should be. Because I, I feel like Podrick would totally just take the shot and maybe hit Duncan and maybe hit Blake. And you know what? Kind of just like, fuck it, whatever, right? Um, no, I disagree, because if Blake dies, the contest and the fun is over, right? Sure, uh, sure, but uh, yeah, I, I suppose you're right, but I still feel like it's, may- maybe, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's a fair justification. This feels like the kind of chaos that Maggie would love to be a part of, you know? Yeah, yeah, but that's, uh, again, like, that's maybe part of it mm-hmm. as well, like, uh, f- yeah, uh, like, for all we know, uh, Pordrig you know, he was very good with throwing the eggs and he's thousands of year old, years old. You could probably hit him even if Blake doesn't stop. Uh, yeah, like, true. Like, this could have all just been part of the act and the fun. Yeah. You yeah. never know. You never know. It's kind of hard to tell, isn't <laughs> it? Um, I- I've I've read out a few of these. Why don't you go through and take us through some of the other ones from Arc 7? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, so 7.6, I just really wanted to call out this bit. Like, this is one that really only makes sense as of this chapter to me, uh, mm. where, like, and and it stood out to me in 7.6, Maggie gets really excited when Conquest specifically has shown up. Mm. And it's like, oh, Conquest is here. And of course, now we know that was the agreement is he, as Maggie, had to run into Conquest at some point. Yep. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a, oh, sweet uh, moment. <laughs> Check that box. Yep. Um, there's also the bit, and I think I forgot to call this out in our episode, but um, Maggie does just say she will put a sword through Duncan's throat. Well, mm. there, there's there's actually no qualifiers around it so that's actually like unless i'm missing something that's that's potentially still out there as something uh maggie or Podrick will have to follow through on uh mm. you know now that duncan's back in jacob's bell mm. yeah um yeah totally uh, it's uh you're right i i didn't kind of notice it um it is a very explicit uh, you know thing to say <laughs> um yeah, so I think a lot of other ones uh, are just stuff I called out after I'd made the theory. Um, mm. The only other one is the bit where Blake says to Maggie, you helped out, I owe you, and she smiles at him. Oh, and gosh. Just, now, that, now that we know for sure that that's not Maggie, I was just a bit like, 
oh, yeah. uh, good thing he's dead. <laughs> good thing he doesn't have to owe Portrick shit. Yeah. Um, you don't want to I, owe Portrick shit. I wonder if whatever Blake thing will probably come back, you know, is that still going to owe Portrick one? I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other ones that you want to call out? Oh, the bit where Maggie came on to Pordrig, uh now we know it was just Pordrig. You mean being, being Maggie a came with. on to Blake? Sorry, yes, where Maggie came on to Blake and we called it out as being yeah. a bit odd. Uh, yeah. It was just him being a seedy, like, you <laughs> just know. Just fucking we, around, yeah. Well, we know he slept with a, a straight student at Maggie's school a year ago yeah. just to cause drama. And I feel like, yeah, he just did this. He probably, probably just knew that it would mess with Blake. Or maybe, like, mess with Tiffany is a motivation there, too. Yeah, just just causing drama. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, yeah. And, and then I think the the last one I, I think that we should call out is uh, one of the things Blake says to Maggie in 7.12, or 7.11, mm-hmm. is, you were among the first people that were decent to me when this all started. And Maggie's response is, I was. Mm-hmm. And that's that's great, because Podrick was one of the first people Blake meets. <laughs> But I think Podrick and I have very dif- different definitions of what being decent to someone well, he is. he didn't hurt him. He let him go in the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But, well, but yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I guess that's, our, that's the end of our episode. And we'll see what happens with Maggie as we go on, I suppose. Um, thank yeah. you for joining us, everybody. If you have bits that you want to call out from, from the Toronto stories that are kind of interestingly recontextualized for you, uh, the best place to do that is in our discussion thread, which is down in the comments in the show notes down below. Uh, yes. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, uh, which is at MediaMDPodcast. Yes. Uh, you can find out more about this show and all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network at doofmedia.com. Uh, although there aren't any other shows this week. Uh, it's just us here holding down <laughs> the fort. It's a lonely, lonely time at the Doof HQ. Um, but outside of Doof, uh, yesterday, actually, we just released a new episode of our other show, Media MD, uh, which we'll be talking about the land before time. Yes. Um, if you want to check that out, uh, check out MediaMDPodcast.com. To support the Doof Media Network, it's a Patreon-backed network, which means that uh, we exist because of the generous love of our supporters. Um, if you want to become one of those supporters, head to Patreon.com slash DoofMedia. Uh, and Wildbo has a Patreon uh, Patreon account too, patreon.com slash Wildbo. So throw him some money for these great uh, fairy impersonation stories and, <laughs> and also others. Other stories too, but mainly the fairy impersonation. <laughs> um, that's all from us, but we will see you all on Monday the 15th to talk about Signature 8.3. See ya. Predictor. 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 Scott speculations. Predictor. Predictions. Predictions. <laughs> <laughs>